Kings chapter 8. Spend a minute. I honestly can't remember when it was that we were in 2 Kings chapter 7, but we were at one point. I can tell you that. We are going to finish 2 Kings in two years and a couple of weeks is what's going to happen. So uh, it's kind of like our pace for Colossians right now, you know, it feels like. So uh, <laughs> a year from now, we'll be there. But uh, 2 Kings chapter 8, we're going to look at just the first six verses today. And this really is, it's probably a story that you have read multiple times if you've read the Old Testament, but you've just read it and passed over it. And I'll tell you, I know why that probably happened because I was reading it and I almost just passed over it and kept on going because I'm like, what's, go- what's going to be here uh, for us? But I read it and then I read it still didn't understand. Then I read it a couple more times and it finally clicked that this was an incredible story. I think that could be helpful for all of us in the room, just because it's, I mean, it's a phenomenal just story of who God is and the way in which he works. Uh, So second Kings chapter eight, let's read verses one through six. Elisha said to the woman whose son he had restored to life. If you remember, real quick, I'm sorry, a couple of chapters ago, this is the Shunammite woman who Elisha stayed at his house. He asked her, what what would you like? And he found out that she had longed for a son her entire life. And so what did Elisha do? God blessed her with a son. Elisha says, you're going to have a child. Well, not long after she had that child, as he was growing up, one day he ended up dying. That son died. And Elisha, remember, he stretched out over the top of him and he raised him back to life. So this is that woman that we are encountering again in this story. So Elisha said to the woman whose son he had restored to life, get ready, you and your household, and go live as a resident alien wherever you can. For the Lord has announced a seven-year famine and it has already come to the land. So the woman got ready and did what the man of God said. She and her household lived as resident aliens in the land of the Philistines for seven years. When the woman returned from the land of the Philistines at the end of seven years, she went to appeal to the king for her house and field. Now listen to this. This is incredible. The king had been speaking to Gehazi, the attendant of the man of God, saying, Tell me all the great things Elisha has done. While he was telling the king how Elisha restored the dead son to life, the woman whose son he had restored to life came to appeal to the king for her house and field. So Gehazi said, my lord, the king, this is the woman and this is the son Elisha restored to life. When the king asked the woman, she told him the story. So the king appointed a court official for her saying, restore all that was hers along with all the income from the field from the day she left the country until now. Now let me give you some context or just some, some understanding of where we are right here that can be helpful for us. I've said this multiple times as we've studied 2 Kings, but the author of 2 Kings never claims to be writing in exact chronological order. As we've studied some of the miracles of Elisha, he kind of jumps around a little bit. And, and, and this makes sense when you understand this story because I'll talk about it a little more in a minute. But if you remember, Gehazi... Um, you know, basically Naaman's leprosy who came from this area as well. Naaman's leprosy went over to Gehazi. I know it was like four months ago when we were at that passage, but Gehazi has leprosy. And so obviously this can't be at this point now, because most likely the king is not letting a man with leprosy into his court. And so this isn't in chronological order. What you see the author of 2 Kings do sometimes is he places a story in a place to kind of cause a juxtaposition from what he is about to write. 
And if, as we're going to read on in just a minute, uh, well, in the next couple of weeks, where we're going from here, we will see that. This story today is an incredible juxtaposition of God's mercy and his care for the faithful against man's sinful heart and man's pride. What we are going to see after this moment is this downward spiral is going to happen. So why is this story here? I kind of skipped ahead, but let me tell you. This story is here because it serves as a great reminder of the sovereignty of God as well as the blessings that come from being obedient to God, as we'll see in the story. So that's what it shows us. And then it also serves to kind of cause a break against what it is that we're going to see after this of all the people of Israel and Judah. Now, here's what I want you to see from this passage today. Three just simple parts of the story. First, it is a willing faith. And then we are going to see a, a, the providence of God. And then finally, we're going to see a powerful testimony. Okay, let's start with a willing faith. Look at this woman. This woman, has, God has, God, Elisha comes to her and he tells her that she needs to leave this land because he is about to cause a famine to come upon this land. Because of that, he says, just go. Do you understand the significance of this statement? At this time, every bit of money that you had, everything was tied up into your property. And Elisha just told her to leave. To, like, to, to leave and go somewhere that you've never been before. She is told to leave everything that she has. Not only that, but she's also not told where to go. It's literally just go somewhere. <laughs> Anywhere but here is where she's told to go because a famine has already come and it's going to get worse. Well, what do we see this woman do? It says this, it says that, so the woman got ready and did what the man of God said. How many of you in this room right now, if somebody just came up to you and says, you need to go right now, leave everything that you have and just go some other place, would that be something that you would just automatically do? Not me. <laughs> I'm like, you're crazy. Um, I got a house. <laughs> I'm not going to do that. Why in the world would she do that? See, what we see from this story is this lady had incredible faith in her God, was willing to trust him and go wherever it is that he called her to go. And I think her faith teaches us two things about what it means to follow God. First of all, this, this, this is what this, her faith teaches us. It teaches us this, that the willingness to follow God, to go wherever he calls us to go and to do whatever he calls us to do arises from his faithfulness to us. Think about her story. Was she just leaving blindly or had God been incredible, incredibly faithful to her? Think about her life. What she longed for more than anything in this world was a son. And God gave her a son. And then that very son died from an accident. And then God, through his man, Elisha, brought her back to life. Tell me this, if that is the God that she knows and she follows, and that same God tells her, hey, you need to go and leave and go somewhere else, don't you think she's going to do it? If God is going to bring her son back to life, I think she understands that he's also going to take care of her no matter where she goes. Here's why this matters for us. God is not calling us to walk out in blind faith. We are not called to just walk out into something and to go somewhere and to do something just willy-nilly. No, no, no. Here's what we need to understand. 
everything that God calls us to do and tells us to do, while it might be scary in front of us, it's always built upon what God has done time and time again for us in the past. That's where the faith comes from. You see, he is asking us to consider him, asking us to consider God worthy of following because of who he is and what he has done. If God loved you enough that he came here to this world to die for you, don't you think that he's going to take care of you? And it might mean that you have to go somewhere that you've never been before. Or it might mean you have to do something that's outside of your comfort zone. But know this, what he's asking you to do is not just to walk out in blind faith. It's always built upon what it is that he's already done for you. That's where our faith comes from. Second of all, what do we also learn here? We learn that sometimes following God means taking the hard road and not the easy one. Who here likes to take the hard road? Anybody? Exactly. Nobody likes to take the hard road. But what do we see time and time again in our life? The hard road is where we go. What do we see right here? This, he tells her to go and leave. And what happens is her and her family live as aliens in the land of the Philistines for seven years. And then she comes back and guess what? Her property's gone. We don't know what happened if maybe the government took it or if somebody else took it, but she is told to go to this land for seven years and then she comes back and her property's gone. Does this not seem like the opposite of faithfulness to you? It seems like God is doing the opposite of being faithful. But when you look at the story, you know that that's not the case. God told her to go. And what we see is that the struggle of her time as an alien was actually protection against the famine. But it still doesn't mean it was easy. So here's the question for us. Why does, God, why does God's plan sometimes for us the hard road and not the easy road? How about we say this? Why is God's plan often the hard road and not the easy road? Look, I can't answer every, every part of it for you, but I can tell you this, that God uses the hardships in our life to fortify our trust in him and solidify our hope for what lies ahead. He uses the hard times that we face to fortify our trust in him and solidify the hope that is ahead. This is the reason why Romans chapter five, verses three through five are so powerful. I mean, just listen to these words here. It says, we also boast in our afflictions because we know that affliction produces endurance and endurance produces proven character and proven character produces hope. And this hope will not disappoint us. Why? Because God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Our affliction in the end produces hope. The hard times build us up and produce hope. We see this all throughout the Bible. Can I just give you three people that we see this in? For instance, how about Jacob? Jacob becomes Israel through years in a distant land in a wrestling match with God. Doesn't he? That's how he becomes Israel. How about Joseph? Joseph becomes the provider, in some ways, the savior of his people after spending years in slavery and in prison. Wasn't the easy road, was it? Or how about Moses? Moses becomes the mouthpiece of God after fleeing for his life and herding sheep for years. That's when then God uses him. God often uses the hard road in our life to make us who he is wanting us to be. There's a, many of you in this room probably know Andre Crouch. He wrote a song um, called Through It All, and I just want to read you some of the lyrics. Many of you probably know this very song. He says, I thank God for the mountains, and I thank him for the valleys, 
And I thank him for the storms he's brought me through. For if I'd never had a problem, I'd never know how God could solve them. I'd never know what faith in his word could do. Through it all and through it all. Oh, I've learned to trust in Jesus and I've learned to trust in God. Isn't that so true? I love that. For if I'd never had a problem, I wouldn't even know that God could solve them. I would have sung it for you, but I wanted you to come back next week. So uh, I was not going to do that. Can I give you one more from a guy named John Newton? John Newton wrote the song Amazing Grace. And he has this hymn that is an incredible hymn. Now, some of it's in Old English, okay? So you're going to have to listen hard. I don't know if, um, I don't know if we, we didn't end up getting that on the screen, did we? We see. We, oh, we do have it on the screen. Okay, so you'll actually be able to see this. I just want you to see these words because these are words worth holding on to and remembering. It's the, the song is called These Inward Trials. He says, I asked the Lord that I might grow in faith and love and every grace, might more of his salvation know and seek more earnestly his face. Twas he who taught me thus to pray, and he, I trust, has answered prayer. But it has been in such a way as almost drove me to despair. I hope that in some favored hour at once he'd answer my request and by his love's constraining power subdued my sins and give me rest. Instead of this, he made me feel the hidden evils of my heart and let the angry powers of hell assault my soul in every part. Yea, more with his own hand he seemed intent to aggravate my woe. Crossed all the fair designs I schemed, blasted my gourds and laid me low. Lord, why is this? I trembling cried. Wilt thou pursue thy worm to death? Tis in this way, the Lord replied. I answer prayer for grace and faith. These inward trials I employ from self and pride to set thee free. And break thy schemes of earthly joy, that thou mayst find thy all in me. What do we see right here? His prayer was, God, make me grow and make me the man you want me to be. And where did it come from? It come from him being broken and in the hard way. You see, there's going to be many times that the path for us is going to be hard that is ahead. And what God's question for us is this. Do we believe him to be faithful enough to follow him? Or do we have the willing faith that we're just willing to go? And we're willing to listen. So we see in this passage a willing faith. Second of all, what we see in this passage is a providential God. We see this providential God. Remember, this woman returns from the land of the Philistines and she finds that her house and land is gone. And so what does she do? She goes to journey to the king so that she can maybe ask for her land. But as she's journeying there, what we get is insight about a story where it says that Gehazi is standing there before the king and he's telling him about all the great things that Elisha has done. I love this. And he's telling him all these incredible things. Then all of a sudden he gets to the story of where Elisha brought this young man back to life. And what happens? The lady and her son just happen to walk in the room at the same time. Isn't that incredible? Our world likes to call that coincidence, but I look at the scriptures and I call that providence is what it is. <laughs> it's the way in which our God works. I love, even, even Gehazi's response is pretty funny. He goes, my Lord, this is the son, I mean, this is the wife and her son right here that I was just talking about. And what does the king do? He looks at her and he says, why don't you tell me your story? And because of that, he was so blown away by the story, not only does he give her her land back, 
But what does he also do? He says, restore to her all of the money that would have been made off of that land for the seven years that she has been gone. Is that not incredible? This right here is an incredible, beautiful story, a beautiful picture of the providential hand of God. Now, let me explain to you what this word providence is. It comes from the Latin words that mean the words pro and video. It's where we get this, the, the phrase to, to see ahead or to see before. This is how God works. He is over all things. He is above all things. He sees what is ahead. And because of that, he works. Jerry Bridges, who's one of my favorite authors, here's what his, his definition of providence. He says, the providence of God is his constant care for and his absolute rule over all creation for his own glory and the good of his people. Hear that? That's what the providence of God is. His constant care for and his absolute rule over all creation for his own glory and, his, and the good of his people. One person has said it this way, that providence is the hand behind the headlines. I love that just simple definition. That's how God works. He is the hand behind the headlines, doing that which oftentimes does not make sense to us. When I think about these definitions, I can't help but think about the, the situation that happened at Dunkirk. Anybody know the story of Dunkirk? Maybe you saw the movie of it. Okay, like four of us in this room know about what Dunkirk is. I'll explain it to you, um, what happened at Dunkirk. You had all of these, these countries. You had Poland and Denmark and Norway and Holland and Belgium and France. All of these countries had fallen to the Nazi Blitzkrieg. And so what that meant is that the, the British people, the British expeditionary force was trapped on this beach of Dunkirk, basically set up for annihilation. They have nowhere to go. The Blitzkrieg is closed in, the, the Nazi forces closed in all around them. And so they are sitting there like lambs led to slaughter with all there is is the ocean behind them. And so the, the, the British leaders begin to try to figure out how in the world are we going to save these people? They put together this plan and this plan was going to go into play on May 26th. Um, I forgot the year. Anyways, it doesn't matter. It was on the date of May 26th. And the same day this plan was enacted, King George went over and told all the land that today is going to be a national day of prayer. And he pleaded that every single person in Britain pray for the plan to bring their British troops home. Well, if you read the story, what you find out is that weather started doing some really crazy things. It made no sense. All of a sudden, the wind started blowing towards France. And what this meant was that all of these little small boats of people who were coming to help um, get the troops back across to Britain were able to get faster across the channel to the people. But then as they were getting closer to the land, all of a sudden the wind would stop. And what this meant is that those same small boats were not getting crushed by the waves as they got closer to shore or getting crushed by the dock that they were working off of trying to get the people on it. And then on top of that, the, the, the channel during this time of May, usually the, the, the water is terrible. I mean, terribly choppy, um, a terrible thing. The, the water, it says this, it was described as being as still as a pond. Why does this matter? If you're trying to get thousands of soldiers onto these small boats over and over again, don't you think it'd be beneficial for the water not to be moving around? All of this is taking place. On top of that, it said that a fog rolled in. And it covered all of the ships, making it hard for the planes to be able to see the ships as they're crossing the channel. All of these things that are happening, these mere coincidences are happening. Do you know what happened because of those coincidences? 
From May 26th to June 4th, over 338,000 soldiers were taken from the the, the beaches of Normandy back over to Britain. That's the, in my opinion, that is the providence of God at work. Those many coincidences that come into play can only be described by the very hand of God. In the story, how do we see this at play? We said this, it's God's work and his care for all of his creation, for our good and for his purposes. How do we see this at play? Remember this lady's story. Years ago, she went through the absolute pain and heartache of seeing her son die in her arms. But what do we come to today? It is the very story of death and resurrection that provides the provision of her house again. What is the providence of God that we see in this story? It's this. This is for our own lives. That God takes all things. The one who sees beyond, the one who cares for us, God takes all things and he works them together. Let me tell you what this means for your life. Nothing is wasted in your life. That which seems like utter destruction that's happened to you, God does not waste it. He's the one who sees before. Because of that, we can trust him today. Finally, let me leave you with this. And that is that we see in this a powerful testimony. He asked for her to share her story. And what do we see happen? He shares it. And because of that, she not only gets her land back, but she gets seven years worth of income that would have come with her land that's given back to her. Why? We see that there was great power in her story. And why was there great power in her story? It's because God's providence was at the center of it. And can I tell you today that there is great power in your story as well. Why? Because God's providence is at the center of it. And I'm not talking about just the story of your salvation. I'm talking about the story of God's work in your life since you started following Jesus. I mean, can you not look back and see all of the ways in which God has provided for you over the years? The seeming impossible and God has worked it out. The ways in which he is maybe taking what seem like the most horrible circumstances in our lives and he's used them to make us the people that we are today. You see, your testimony is not just how God saved you. Your testimony is also how God has sustained you up to this point. That is your testimony. That is your story. How many of you in this room know a lady by the name of Miss Bobby Hare? How many? Some of you do, some of you don't. Miss Bobby Hare is probably one of the most the sweetest people you'll ever meet in your entire life. Every time you see her, I mean, that smile is reaching from ear to ear. She's had some major medical problems over the last couple of years. And it has been torture on herself, on her body. She had another surgery the other day, and I went and visited her in the hospital. And one thing I miss most about Miss Bobby is every time that I would come in this building, usually we would meet in this doorway right here, and she would give me the biggest hug around the neck. Just love talking with her. And I walked into that hospital room the day after she just had another surgery. And as I walked in, soon I was hit with a smile, with that massive style. And I said, hey, Miss Bobby, Miss, that smile, hey, Miss Bobby, how you doing? She goes, well, Justin, it's been better, but I'm doing all right. And I sat down with her and I just got honest with her right, right there in that moment. I said, Miss Bobby, I can't imagine what it is that you've been through the last couple of years. How in the world are you smiling at me right now? And she said this, she said, Justin, When you understand all of the ways in which God has been good for me throughout my entire life, how can I not smile right now? You see, you know what the testimony for Miss Bobby is? 
that even though the last couple of years in her life has been utter torture with the medical problems that she's had, she is one who can look at God's faithfulness from year after year. See, she can see God's providential hand at work in her life. And so she takes that moment right there and she says, Justin, how can I be bitter? How can I be angry? That's a testimony. Finally, let me leave you with this. Can I tell you why these testimonies are powerful? They're powerful today because these are not just your testimony, but they speak of the very work of God. And if we only knew this, if we only knew the number of people that are hurting, that have been through similar circumstances as us, if we only knew of the amount of people who are searching for hope and for comfort, if we only knew the power that could be provided for them, if we would just share our stories of not only God's salvation, but the way in which he sustained us, it would be amazing of the impact that that would be. It would be amazing. The impact that that would be in people's lives would be something we could never understand. So if I could challenge you just to do this, that you would be willing to share your story of what it is that God has done for you. Because as you share your story, ultimately what you're doing is you are sharing his story. And that's what changes people's lives. Let's pray together. God, we love you so much. And we thank you for your word. God, we are thankful that you are above and beyond all of us. <laughs> that you see what is before. That you see what is ahead. Because of that, God, and when, because we know of your past faithfulness, why wouldn't we trust you? Why wouldn't we follow you? We love you and we thank you, God. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.